0: Корректор А.Егорова listening to the real issue podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Hope y'all had a very happy Thanksgiving. And the last week we ended up going and sharing with you a, a show that we had recorded on moralistic therapeutic deism. And that was actually something that I had mentioned in this week's blog on a faulty hermeneutic. And the fact that if a pastor or a preacher or a Bible teacher goes and shares scripture and they use not doing a solid biblical exegesis of Jesus, then chances are they're going to lead their listener, their pupil, their student, their congregant into one of two angles. Narcissism, narcissism, as far as going to the passage, or moralistic, therapeutic deism, or anti-intellectualism. So, you know... Uh, I would encourage you, if you haven't been to our blog, you can go to roblundbergapologetics.com. Check that out. It has gotten a lot of hits since I put it out on social media. And for that, we're grateful. Thank you. If you are a listener and a reader of our blog, thank you for checking that posting out. The question I'm going to deal with today is one that, I dealt with on a previous show, and like I shared with you, anything that we've gone and done that we've lost, and of course, you don't have it on your iTunes or Stitcher or Pod Anchor FM feed or whatever platform you're listening to us on. By the way, thank you for listening to us on all those platforms because right now we're on about 10 platforms through Anchor FM, and then, of course, we're using Podcast Garden as a feed as well, and, of course, that is going and just... Getting off the charts as well, but before I go and start chasing rabbits, I'll have to kill and eat here, and I like rabbit. But the question that I want to deal with this week is this one: on is believing absolute truth narrow-minded or intolerant? Now, whenever you go and you say somebody is narrow-minded, you are making a narrow-minded claim that that person is narrow-minded. So. It's kind of like the key excuse succuse. He excuses himself, accuses oneself. The whole idea of turning the claim on itself is something that you can learn by going and picking up Greg Kokel's book, who, by the way, just came out with his new edition. And I think it's got 80 pages or something. I'm not sure exactly. I'm going to have to pick it up myself to see what he added into that book. It's a great book when it first came out. I'm sure it's even better now but this whole question of is believing an absolute truth narrow minded or intolerant this is the topic of the day you know we've had an election that occurred and of course things are going to change in virginia a whole a whole lot and we're we're really looking down the the barrel of a loaded gun right now here in in virginia with regards to anything that might happen on the issues of morals, which we'll talk about in the next part of our show here. But it all boils down to what you believe about truth. Now truth is that which corresponds to reality and the whole question is anybody who believes in absolute truth holds to a standard. Anybody who doesn't believe in absolute truth also holds to a standard. But that standard is themselves or culture or something else. So what I want to do is I want to break this down. And I want to share with you a few reasons before we go into our next, next part of our show. And first off, let me say that this whole question of relativism on the area of truth saying that, you know, all truth is relative is a a self-defeating statement because truth by definition is that which corresponds to all of reality. By its very nature, truth is narrow, and at times it is divisive by its definition and its application. To give you an example of how this works out, of how truth corresponds to reality, at least today, let's suppose that there is a blue 2010 Mazda 3 outside of my house. And we go outside the house, if we would get up, go outside my house and look in the driveway, and we could actually go and maybe pull out the registration from the glove compartment, and you would see that my name and my wife's name is on it, that it belongs to us, and and we know by definition the color of blue, that, that that is a blue 2010 Mazda 3. Another illustration is I like to use with even college students or anybody who's of college student age as, as far as those who deny truth as being absolute, is the illustration of a true-false test. You know, if somebody t- takes and gets an answer wrong on a truth true-false test, do they argue with the teacher to go and say, well, you know, that's your truth, that's true for you, but not for me. I might be giving some people ideas. But of course, you know, if they got the answer wrong, there must be a standard by which... T- determined that they got it wrong and that is basically the textbook or the lecture material. So when we when we look at this, you know, is the teacher narrow-minded for marking the answer wrong? No. That, that's because these statements are true and statements are false and as divisive as truth might sound, those statements correspond and cohere to reality Whether we like those answers that that the book has given us or not, the reality is that you got the answer wrong and you need to correct your answer or make sure you get it right in your final exam. (laughs) There's a second reason here. The second reason is that the person making the statement, absolute truth is too narrow, is actually making an absolute statement that is true for them. Now if this is the case then one is making such a claim as e- is equally narrow-minded or intolerant as they accuse as the accusation that they make. This is when and where we can turn the claim on itself. In recent days there have been some conversations that I've had with work with some the guys in the back about, you know, truth and you know, if you say that there is no truth, that statement is true. If that statement is true, then the statement "there is no truth" is actually false. Did you get that? Hopefully, it didn't give you mind constipation. But see, you can turn the claim on itself to say that there is no truth. Let's say, say for example, just take the, take the illustration, uh, the statement "there is no truth." The person that makes that statement believes that that statement is true, that there is no truth. Some things are definitely sayable, but just because they're sayable does not make them correspond to reality or make them true. That being said, those number number three, those who are charging the Christian with intolerance because of holding to morals, which we'll talk about in the second part of our show, being absolute. Folks, first off, are confused about the meaning about the word intolerance. Intolerance refers to the the manner or the attitude uh, which one holds truth, not to the truth itself. So if you think about this from this perspective, what this means is that this claim of intolerance confuses what one holds to be true with the attitude of how he holds it. Now, what this means is, if one holding to absolute truth makes uh, makes one intolerant, then accusing the Christian of intolerance is equally intolerant. You get that? If you go and you say that I'm intolerant, you're making an intolerant statement toward me. So if you're accusing me of being intolerant, you might be intolerant yourself because you're not tolerating me in the, in the truest sense of the word tolerance. Now, let me go fourthly. Lastly and fourthly, to be labeled as one being intolerant just on the basis of disagreeing with someone is very, very mistaken. You know, when you think of being involved in conversations like this, to be tolerant of other views implies that there is a real disagreement between viewpoints. If you think of it this way, no one tolerates something that they already agree with. Does that make sense? You're not tolerating someone on, tolerating something that you agree with with somebody. The accusation of intolerance is always based, is, is on the basis of a disagreement. And it is an attempt by the person who charges intolerance because they want us to accept what we disagree with under the guise of intolerance. Now, if we were to apply the same definition of our accuser, who are the ones that are being intolerant? We'll go to a break in just a moment, but let me just wrap it up by saying this. You know, you and I don't have to be afraid of being challenged with being intolerant or narrow-minded. In fact, it's okay because why truth is narrow and it's divisive at times. If it is divisive, it is only natural that the tolerance or narrow-minded name-calling will come up. What we need to remember is that we must be gracious in our response and showing our accusers how this statement breaks down, making them equally narrow-minded and intolerant. Hopefully, you and I will be able to bring them to a, let's let's call it a, come let us reason together moment, says the Lord, and iron things out. There is another thought that comes to mind here. And what I'd like to say is, I've had the experience of a conversation with the with the Reverend Barry Lynn. There is an attitude with some that are out there like Barry Lynn that that think it is okay to be intolerant to those they accuse of intolerance. When I asked Barry Lynn if he found that problematic, he told me not at all. I bring this up in the conclusion of our segment today is because I think you and I are approaching some interesting days to come. Because if all of a sudden there is no care of tolerance or no reasoning together or no, a conversation that has no reason driving the engine, if you will, you and I, number one, will have to hold our ground and we'll have to take it come what may. We need to hold our ground and understand that they are the ones whom the God of this age has blinded their minds blinded the minds of the unbeliever, based on 2 Corinthians 4.4. And what we need to do as Christians, we need to pray for the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom as we engage the objections and be used by God to remove those objections and the blinders so that those who make the accusation can see the truth and turn away from this dangerous, dangerous delusion. We're going to go to a break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about moral relativism in line of this whole thing on truth. We've got a couple commercials for you. We'll be back in just a moment.
1: Welcome to the One Minute Minute Apologist. We interview the world's leading apologists to provide credible answers to curious questions. Frank, is truth true for you, but not for me? I always hear that and I usually say, is that true for everybody? Is true for you but not for me true for everybody? Because if true for you but not for me is true for everybody, then true for you and not for me can't be true because it's true for everybody. <laughs> I know that can give you intellectual constipation, yeah, yeah, but that's guy. because it's self-defeating. It's actually there's an easier way of illustrating this. True for you but not for me. Say, "Sure, go try that with your bank teller." Go to your bank teller one day and say, "Look, I'd like $100,000 out of my account." The bank teller looks <laughs> your account and says, "I'm sorry, sir, you only have $47.16 in your account." that's easy to get the money Bobby you simply say that's true for you but not for me give me the hundred grand are you gonna get the money no you're not if it's true there's only forty seven dollars and sixteen cents in your account that's true for all people at all times in all places when referring to your account at that time it's just true and by the way it's true that Jesus rose from the dead if he really did that's true for all people at all times in all places if he really did of course it's not true if he didn't rise from the dead. And I think the evidence is quite strong that he did. So saying it's true for you but not for me may sound good, it's the mantra of our culture, but it's self-defeating. It's logically self-defeating and it just doesn't work. Sounds like you're trying to say that truth corresponds to reality. I am, I'm actually trying to say that.
0: This is Rob Lundberg from The Real Issue Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the show this week. We'd like to ask you to do us a favor and go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever platform you're listening to, and give a review. Give us five stars and help us move up the review scale so people will get more exposure to The Real Issue Podcast and The Real Issue Apologetics Ministry. We'll be more than happy to share with you more about what this show is all about and what our ministry is all about. Also, be sure to subscribe to The Real Issue Podcast so that you would be able to listen to more shows and get more equipped as we go out to give our world heaven. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the show. The Real Issue Podcast. Thank you for tuning in and thank you for listening to those commercials. If you ever have any questions about anything that you hear on our show, we want to give you an email so that you'd be able to get those questions answered for you. The email is realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. That's realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. Also, this week, is Giving Tuesday, and instead of doing it on Facebook, and I've been thinking about this because I know Christmas is coming up and all, but if you really appreciate what we do and if you would like to be a part of what we are doing and making a contribution, we're looking to step up our reach this coming 2020. We've already upgraded our podcast and our website for the year, but then I also learned some things that if we have an opportunity to upgrade, we'd love to be able to do that. And if you could help us, that would be we would be very, very grateful. I'm going to have uh, an announcement coming out on our blog. You can go to roblundbergapologetics.com and you can be able to find that there. Also, if you are in the area and you'd like to get together for a small group apologetics think tank, then we would love to have you a part of that. You can email us also at realissueapologetics@yahoo.com. at yahoo.com. Also, we're going to be introducing a little bit more as we get going further and as the next administration here in Virginia happens. We're going to be talking about a ministry extension arm of the real issue called the Virginia Center for Public Christianity. You know, we're having all these issues, and apparently, you know, we're going to be facing some challenges. And some of the things that we're going to be talking about in this section here of our show today about moral relativism. You know, there's a lot of issues that are creeping in, ranging from abortion to sexual dysphoria and gender bending and all of this other stuff. And folks, I want to let you know that we are correct. We're not politically correct. We're not going to change. We're not going to cave to the culture. We're going to share with you what we believe is a reasonable answer with regards to how we can, as Christians, stand firm in the culture. This is the purpose of our show today. This is the purpose of our podcast. This is actually the purpose of our ministry. So I want to talk to you in this section here about the whole issue of moral relativism. Now, moral relativism is a philosophy, It is a philosophy that asserts asserts that there is no global absolute moral law that applies to all people for all time and in all places. Instead of an objective moral law, it espouses a qualified view where morals are concerned, especially in the areas of individual moral practice, where personal and situational encounters supposedly dictate the correct moral position. Now, if we were to sum up the relative moral philosophy, Nietzsche would put it, Friedrich Nietzsche back in the late 1800s put it this way, you have your way, I have my way, as for the right way, it does not exist. It is the view that when it comes to questions of morality, there are no absolutes, there is no objective right and wrong, morals are merely personal preferences and or the result of one's cultural, sexual, or ethnic orientation. That is from Francis Beckwith, Why I Am Not a Moral Relativist and Why I Am a Christian. That goes back to 2001. This thing has been around for a while, and it has, it's not going away. In fact, I think it's probably going to get worse before it gets any better. Now, when you talk about things like this in modern times, in modern times, the espousal of moral relativism has been closely linked to the theory of evolution. The argument is this. In the same way that humanity has evolved from lesser to greater biological organisms, the same process is in play in the area of morals and ethics. Therefore, All that can be ascertained at present and forever is that there is no absolute or fixed certainty in the area of morality. Now, if you follow this argument to its logical conclusion, we see that there is cause for consternation among many, even those who espouse moral relativism. Atheist Paul Kurtz, who is the author of The Humanist Alternative, but also the author of The Humanist Manifesto, sums up, the end result this way he says if man is a product of evolution one species among others in a universe without purpose then man's option is to live for himself and of course if you're looking for living for yourself and personal autonomy then what happens is you become your own god and this is a a problem they're a grand example of this philosophy in action it can be seen back as far as as early as 2007 and 2008 where the meltdown occurred in the American financial banking industry. Those who taught relative morality in their philosophy and business ethics college courses proceeded to live out those teachings on Wall Street in another, and in other corporate venues. Taking risks, not representing the truth properly, seeking monetary gain, etc., with the outcome of being, of being devastating for those who were on the receiving end of their relative and financial morality. Now, oddly enough, many believed in relative morality at that time. Many who did believe in morality... Uh, that was relative at that time were outraged and absolutely sure that those who engaged in deceptive business practices ought to be punished for their unethical behavior. This type of reaction though, it speaks loudly to an important truth that moral relativists themselves have a rather dim view of moral relativism when it negatively affects them. So you see how all this plays itself out. Now, let the let moral relativist be lied to, be the victim of false advertising or of a crime that he instantly becomes a moral absolutist. A person's reaction to what he considers unfair, unethical treatment always betrays his true feelings on the matter of relative or objective morality. Now, when you when you deal with this... Think for a moment, if you have a professor that is telling you that morals are relative, go up and get out of your chair, go and step on his toes real hard, and let him tell you that you did something wrong. And you can just go and say, no, 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 I I acted morally on my part. What I did was not wrong. It was true for me, but not for you. Now, let me give you three options here. You know, if this is all the case, you know, the only options that the secular humanist has, where standard and authority are concerned, is when you really look at it. You know, we have to deal with it. Looking at the natural, the natural universe, we have to look at it from culture, and we also have to look at it from the individual. And I'm not sure if I'm going to get all through this. Uh, we'll see, but we'll go see just see how it how it all lands. You know, for if you look at the Natural universe, it doesn't work uh, since no one has even closely explained how matter and atoms and chemicals and electricity produce proper moral truths from which moral behavior is rightly derived. Culture doesn't help as well as there are many cultures throughout the world with all differing moral standards and practices, and folks, there's no way to ascertain which culture is correct, if at all, if, if at all is, it is possible. Now, culture merely displays what is with respect to morality. And even the famous skeptic and antagonist of religion, David Hume, stated that humanity cannot derive an ought from an is where morals are concerned. And then lastly, if you look at the individual, the individual is used as a standard of authority for morals, and the problem becomes one of the imposing personal preferences on others and asking whose moral opinion is right. Now, we see this dilemma, and seeing this dilemma, some moral relativists try to say that science can be used to dictate ethics. Well, I don't think it can, but even secular scientists admit that science is a descriptive discipline or explanation and not a prescriptive moral ought description, where such moral questions, such as if the Nazis were evil or not, or Is murder really wrong, or is it really wrong to torture babies, or why rape is morally reprehensible? Einstein summed up uh, the uh, the correct position in this when he said, You are right in speaking of moral foundations of science, but you cannot turn around and speak of the scientific foundations of morality. Now, let me give you a, a few illustrations or examples with reference to this question of whether or not we can deal with morality Uh, on a relative perspective, or if it's absolute. First off, is morality relative? Uh, Well, let me just say no. And if so, how are Christians to interact with a secular city? Secular city meaning society. Daily, we are confronted with issues where Christianity seems to be on the fringe. You know, when you look at things like gay rights and transgender uh, issues, that are now being equated as civil rights, those proclaiming homosexuality as a sin are seen as homophobic. And if you look, depending on where you look in the culture and where you look in the world, there are fines that are being paid, having to be paid for intolerance or bigoted statements. Of course, look at the court cases and things that had come up with the bakery and the florists as far as not not being allowed to hold to their christian convictions if you will in and going and being forced to make cakes and of course all those things they're going to be more court cases and i think the culture is going to have to make a decision uh or the courts are going to have to make a decision as far as how these things are to be addressed it's a you know it is a badge of tolerance to accept this as an alternative lifestyle but see tolerance in this case does not mean accepting a person even though you disagree the culture's view of tolerance actually means affirming what you disagree with okay those who say it is a sin are intolerant and what is what are what is a christian to do well The problem is that Christianity proclaims that there are absolute moral norms that apply to all persons in all places, all people in all times, and relativism denies that there are moral norms, that there are moral norm, normal absolutes. Now, if relativity is true, then Christianity is false. And if there's no basis for right and wrong, then Christianity is a meaningless set of values. If relativity is false, then there must be an objective source of what is right and wrong. And in addition, materialism must also be false. Therefore, the existence of the spiritual realm cannot be dismissed. Now, what moral relativism is not. Let me share that with you. First off, a distinction must first be made to demonstrate what moral relativity is not. People often mistake a preference as opposed to a moral claim. For example, let me give you an idea what a preference is. I can say I like Wawa coffee or Starbucks coffee. Folks, that is a preference. If somebody makes a moral claim, they would say that Stealing is wrong. A moral claim is what the society ought to do. Ought implies an ethical framework. Let me say that again. A moral claim is what society ought to do. And if you go and you take ought and put that in quotes, a moral ought implies an ethical framework. A preference claim is what somebody likes to do. Somebody might believe it is morally wrong to steal, but choose to prefer or prefer to steal. The distinction between a moral claim and a preference claim here then is often confused. A moral claim is what applies to all people while a preference claim just applies to personal choices. You know, say for example, with regards to the abor- the abortion debate, and we see this illustrated uh, a problem. Those who are pro-abortion view the right of choice as a moral claim. Really, the choice of moral that choice is not a moral claim, but it's a preference when we really look at it. Those who are pro-life uh, who are right to life as a moral claim. Now the pro-life folks are told you don't have you don't have to have an abortion if you don't like it. That's a preference claim. Those who say who are pro-life say don't get pregnant. that's also a preference claim. Now, the argument is between what moral claim has priority. Now, there are some arguments that are for moral relativism. There are two main arguments by those who view moral relativism as a, as a worldview for them. The first is that of a disagreement. The moral relativist feels that since cultures and individuals disagree on moral issues, therefore there can be no moral norms that are right and wrong. And then this whole issue, secondly, is this back to this whole thing on tolerance, this whole this cultural buzzword of tolerance where the moral relativist embraces the view that one should not judge other cultures or individuals for to do so. If you do that, then you and I are intolerant. Now as you can tell, these are problematical issues. And, of course, the, if you look at the disagreement one, you know, the disagreement does not prove relativism. You know, first and foremost, we do not see all things as everything the same way. You and I don't. We don't see everything the same way. You know, you can say that there are, you know, small disagreements and there may be huge disagreements, But, you know, we don't see things the same way. Different groups come to different conclusions based on the same facts. This does not mean that both groups are right. And if a disagreement justified relativism, then there could never be an objective right or wrong. Now, take, for example, atrocities in our culture like genocide, murder, robbery, or conflicts of valid but opposing views. The nation which slaughters and kills minorities is no more guilty than a lion killing a lamb, if that is the case. The rapist is nothing less than the strong taking advantage of the weak. We would have to conclude that the serial murderer just had a difference of opinion this particular day with the people that he killed. He wanted them to die, and they didn't want to die. And so then the question then, who determines what is right and what is wrong? Their death is nothing more than a dog killing some game, Uh, uh, some type of game like chickens or somebody's cat. You know, disagreement itself disproves relativism. Disagreement demonstrates that relativism is false, since relativism is based on an idea that there are no absolutes of right and wrong. But go ahead and disagree. Disagreement leads to two opposing opinions, and both both feeling that they are right, otherwise there would be no disagreement at all. Disagreement itself invalidates relativism because disagreement requires someone to be right. Relativism would dictate that no party is right because all, in essence, are only relative. Therefore, there could never be disagreement since all is relative. What are the consequences of all of this? Consequences of a morally relativistic society. When you think of this... Moral relativism rejects all moral judgments, such as killing people for fun is wrong, stealing people stealing from people is a sin, and fe- feeding the homeless is good. All of these are reduced to nothing more than preference claims, and all of these statements are based on objective moral norms. The words wrong, sin, good imply that there exists an objective moral standard and relativism denies any standard like this sometimes the relativist, somebody who embraces relativism might argue that the standard is a cultural or social standard this then becomes the basis for moral rightness and wrongness. I get this a lot when I talk to people, this merely replaces one cultural standard with another standard. For example, in Mexico before the arrival of Cortez, child sacrifice and cannibalism was a standard of the Aztec practice. Cortez witnessed these hand events firsthand and with force of the sword suppressed these Aztec practices. Why did he do that? According to moral relativism, uh, who's immoral? The Aztecs or the Spaniards? Moral relativism would equate child sacrifice and cannibalistic activity, Aztec style, as as, as a Aztec cultural norm as non consequential uh, a non consequential event. This would also apply individually on a moral standard as well. A modern day cannibal such as Jeffrey Dahmer, who was no less guilty or innocent as his Aztec predecessors. Every person's actions would justify their morality, all the more, all moral judgments then become negated. And in the moral relativist universe, the killing of the Jews during the Holocaust is nothing more or less than a lion killing a lamb. You know, when you look at all of this, if you look at a Barna study that came out not too long ago, the, this Barna study came out with some tis- statistics for the church. This is rather Interesting. You know, if you don't think the secular city influences the church, then chances are, one, you either need to get your head out of the sand or you really need to get out within the four walls of your culture. From, for example, the ideas of postmodernism, 23% strongly agree that what is morally right and wrong depends on what an individual believes. So what becomes the standard? The standard is the belief system of the person making that claim. 19% strongly agree that no one can for certain know what meaning and purpose there is to life. Now, when you look at the ideas of a secular state in in the church, 20% strongly agree that meaning and purpose comes from working hard to earn as much as possible so that you can make the most out of life. 13% agree that a person's life is only valuable if society sees it as valuable. And then in addition to these two worldviews of postmodernism and secularism, the study also by Barner found that most practicing Christians, of most practicing Christians, 61% agree with ideas rooted in the new spirituality. 38% agree with Islam, and 36% agree with Marxism. Folks, that's a dated survey, and I'm willing to bet you that those numbers are even higher. That's right, I said it. I bet you those numbers are even higher. You know, truth is absolute. You know, If you say that it's not absolute, you make a statement of absolute uh, value. Uh, the fact that if you say that there is no such thing as absolutes or absolutely true statements and you're making an absolutely true statement in your mind, you're violating what is called the law of non-contradiction and folks that is problematic and that is the same way too if you walk up to your boss and you punch him in the nose and they go and he says what you did is wrong and you lose your job you can't go and say today that was that you can't do that you can't fire me because I believe morality is relative you just can't do that that doesn't fly that doesn't work and if you think morality is relative you want to try that watch what happens and as you heard Frank Turek in the in the commercial, go to your bank teller. Tell them you, you have thirty-nine dollars in your in your bank account. Tell them you want five thousand. See what happens. You know, we are in a lot of trouble if we are not able to stand firm on the fact that truth is absolute. If we're not able to articulate why truth is absolute and not relative, if we're not able to learn how to turn the claim on itself Folks, we're in a lot of trouble in the church. That's why the Real Issue Apologetics Ministry is here to help you be able to go and take you through a one or two session training session by which you can go and we can role play and learn how to turn the claims on themselves. We do this. You can contact us at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com if you'd like us to come to your church. We would definitely love to do that. We'd love to be able to work alongside the church. We're here to serve the church. We're here to serve the pastors. And if you will let us do that, you'll see that your people will make a difference where God has them in the culture. Well, we're getting ready to wrap up our show today. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, Look for this show to come up. Also next week we'll have another one for, we'll have another show for you and we have a few more we have I think five Sundays this month so we'll have a couple shows as far as on why Jesus came and also on the virgin birth when we get closer to Christmas so until next week this is Rob Lundberg just remember that truth is absolute and morals are absolute and that we have to be compassionate to people who do not embrace the same truth claims that you and I do. Thank you for tuning into the Real Issue podcast this week. And as you go out this week, go out and give them heaven. And we will be back with you next week. Lord bless.